To be or not to be? Who said that? Where's that come from? Hamlet, that's right. Melissa, I recognize that voice. Shakespeare's Hamlet, to be or not to be? How many of you, are you, are you familiar with that? We're cultured, aren't we, here tonight? Well, tonight we're going to look at a series of bees and where God, as he uh, talked and closed out this letter to the church at Corinth, he challenged them uh, repeatedly on things that he wanted them to be. And, and as a Christian, who we are or what we do is really a, a reflection or a projection of, of what's going on inside. So to be these things... Uh, is a heart thing that comes out in the way it's evidence in our life. We are ordaining four men to our deacon body tonight. We're ordaining Steve Stone and Ray McKinney and Dickie Thompson. I told Melba before the service, Dickie's the first 110-year-old I've ever ordained to the deacon body. She laughed. Dickie didn't think it was real funny. And uh, Will Sanders tonight. But, guys, I'm going to preach to you all. I don't know why you got over here in the corner. You need to be right here. We're in the spitting distance where Penny is. But, but I can still get to you. But it's for everyone tonight because certainly uh, the lessons in this were not just to a select group, but were for everybody in Corinth. So let's walk through and look at this uh, challenging and beautiful little list. This is our last sermon in 1 Corinthians And this is 1 Corinthians 16, starts in verse 13. And here's the thing he says. Number one, he says, be on guard. Be on guard. Some scholars believe that these next five imperatives were uh, given from Paul's understanding of the military. Paul was around military a lot, and and it was a very military culture. And these are kind of military terms or concepts here. And verse 13, it simply says, be on guard. Be on guard. It's the picture of a Roman senator that's that, that standing guard. That It literally means to be watching or be awake or not to be drowsy. Guys, 2,000 years ago, if you were a guard for the Roman army or for uh, your group, that was extremely significant because it was a day before you had radar. It was a day before uh, you could uh, fly planes over to let you know where the enemies were. If the guards went asleep, it, it was major disaster. You'd be overran. You, you could be, be killed. And it, it's very interesting as you study Roman history, the military guards were very faithful to their job. Most of us are familiar also with Pompeii, Pompeii was a city that was literally blown off the uh, face of the earth when a volcano exploded uh, that was in its near vicinity. And as they've evacuated or or excavated that place, they didn't evacuate it soon enough 2,000 years ago, but as they've uh, excavated it, they found all kinds of interesting things. One thing they found was a Roman guard who was at the city gates covered in ash still at the city gates, holding his sword. Over a thousand years later, they dug that up and they found it. And what's interesting about that, there's no doubt he was that, that was his guard duty. He had to feel the ground rumble. He had to hear the explosion of the volcano behind. He had to turn around and see the ash and the fire coming, but he never left his post. Isn't that interesting? And he died holding his sword at the gate. And, and folks, here's what God says. And deacons, this is part of your calling. 
is God says, I want you to be on guard, not in a, uh, in a Nazi way or in a way that God has ordained you to be the police force for the church, but in a positive sense because the Bible tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Why should we be on guard? Why should everyone here be on guard? Number one, the devil's a whole lot smarter than you are, okay? And he's a lot more powerful than you are. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family and your reputation. And he wants to destroy your church. All those right there ought to tell us we ought to be on guard. Amen? I want to challenge you four guys. Be on guard for your families. Be on guard for this church. I would challenge all of us. The devil never rests. Be on guard. Be, be, be on guard and be aware that there is a devil who wants to destroy us and everything about us. First command he gives there. You know, I've read where Thomas Jefferson said this, but then I've read recently, we don't know who said this, but it's really good, that the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. In other words, the price for success and enjoying the life you want to enjoy, somebody's got to be on guard. That's a challenge for all of us as Christians. Be spiritually on guard. Here's something, and obviously it goes hand in glove. He says, number two, be firm in your faith. Be firm in your faith. Verse 13, be on your guard. And stand firm. In other words, I want you to be mature and I want you to be steady. I want you to be stationary and hold fast. You, you four deacons, hold fast to the convictions of God's Word. Doesn't mean you have to be obnoxious or you're a bully. But he's saying, hold firm and be steady. Listen, we live in a day when we are not going to probably be overcome by pure evil, we're going to be overcome by political correctness. You agree with that? We're not. The devil's too smart to just uh, to unleash pure evil in our midst. We would revolt against that. But political correctness is what's going to, going to ruin America if we're not real careful. If we, don't, if we don't keep our guard and we don't stand firm. In other words... Know what you believe about the Bible and about Jesus Christ and stand firm and hold to those truths. Part of the call as a deacon is to do that and to be that. But that's certainly a call for all of us. Now, folks, I believe this with all my heart. There are too many lukewarm, lily-livered, half-hearted, half-baked Christians today. Don't ask me to repeat that because I don't think I could. But you get the point. You guys, man, stand firm for Jesus Christ. Not in an obnoxious way, but, but stand firm for Christ. Stand firm for the truth. Who, who are we going to expect to do it if we don't do it? And everyone else in here, let's stand firm in the things of Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing he says. Be courageous. Certainly these go together again. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. It's very interesting Many of you know the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the Greek literally translates here, play the man. In other words, if you're not going to man up, at least act like a man. Don't you like that? Play the man. Be courageous. It, it, it literally can be translated, be a hero. You, you guys, you know what? You know what, ladies, you know what the world needs? It needs 
Men who will be men and women who will be real women and who will not only stand firm but be courageous. Again, not in a bully, dominating way, but one that's going to stand up for what's right. You know what is disheartening and sickening to me? In the world, the ones that shout the loudest, a lot of times are on the wrong side of things. And the good people sit back and we don't say anything. I've seen that in the church too. A lot of times the people who scream the loudest and who make the most noise, a lot of times aren't the ones who've got truth behind their side. But many of us are just too nice. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be nice. We're going to see that in a moment. But you know what? We need to have some heart and some courage. I love a definition of courage I heard years ago from a football coach. Courage is not the absence of fear. If you're not afraid, it doesn't take courage. I've said this before. You could get any second-grade girl in this church, and I'd fight her tonight with no fear in my heart. Now, you go get an offensive lineman for Louisiana Tech, and there's going to be a lot of fear in my heart if I had to square up with them. Courage is not absence of fear. Courage is being afraid and going ahead anyway. Did you get that? George Patton. George Patton. I don't know where George Patton stood with God, but this is a great quote. He said, courage is fear that said its prayers. Courage is not an absence of fear. Courage is the person who's standing hand in hand with Jesus Christ and who is afraid and goes ahead anyway. Deacons, we need you to play the men. (laughs) We need you to step up and be who God's called you to be. Everyone else here, maybe you're not a man. You step up and be the woman God's called you to be. Men on the other side of the room and those in the middle, the few in the middle, stand up and play and be the man God's called you to be. Here's the fourth thing he says, be loving. To be or not to be, be loving. I love verse 14 because it's such an easy memory verse. Do everything in love. Say that with me. Do everything in love. That's easy, isn't it? The biblical word there, love, is the word agape, which means to choose to be loving. It doesn't mean you necessarily have warm and affectionate feelings towards someone. It means you choose to act kindly and be benevolent. See, Here's the problem with some Christians or a lot of people. We decide to stand firm. We decide to to be firm in the faith, to, to be on guard. We decide to be courageous, and all we are is a bully. See? You can stand firm, you can be courageous, and, and you can uh, and you can do those things and be a complete jerk, right? The thing that makes those Christian is that all that's done in L-O-V-E. Wouldn't you agree with that? You see, it's when a person stands firm, when they have convictions, when they have courage, when they're on guard, they're alert, and it's tempered and through and through in love that makes it beautiful. That's what God's called us to be. Strong people, but very loving people. I love something that was said about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was was described as being velvet steel. Now, that's very unusual. What did that mean? Well, steel is a very strong structure, isn't it? I mean, it is, it's firm. It's in place. It's hard to break. Velvet is pretty, and it's soft. And, the, and what they said about Lincoln was that he was very firm. He was courageous. He was strong, but he was very loving. And so in that strength was also a kind, benevolent spirit. Guys, you want to be the the deacons God's called you to be. If you leave out love, you're just a bully probably if you got these other things. 
But when you put those other things and you put it in the blender with love, you start to become a beautiful person. And for all of us here this evening, listen, it doesn't matter how much of the Bible we know or we can quote or how courageous we stand. If love's not in our heart and in our mix, we probably don't know Christ as our Savior. The fourth thing is so important. Be loving. Be loving people. What does he say, number five? He says, be a servant. Be a servant. In verse 15, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Asia, and they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, and we'll read more of that in a moment. Asia was a Roman province that extended over central and southern Greece, and Corinth was the capital of it. Stephanus and his household were the first people saved, and we believe Paul probably baptized these people in this area. And it, it's interesting, it says that they were the first converts and they devoted themselves, their household, to the, the service of other people. In other words, what it's saying was Stephanus got saved, his wife got saved, his kids got saved, the people that worked for him got saved. I mean, it was a radical thing. And they devoted themselves. Literally, in the King James, it uses the word addicted. They were addicted. That's the, it's, it's a strong word. They devoted themselves. They were addicted to something. What were they addicted to? It says they were uh, devoted to the service of the saints. I've been working with these four guys for a few weeks, and, and the word deacon literally means a servant. This biblical word here for service uh, in verse 15 is translated in other places, deacon. It's that exact word. It means to minister or to labor for someone else. It means to offer a benefit for the cause for Jesus Christ or for other people. What an interesting th- thing this says here. They were addicted to it. Now, we understand people being addicted to drugs, don't we? We understand people being addicted to, to alcohol. Uh, we, we understand people being addicted to chocolate or food, Correct. I'm not sure that's sinful and wrong, but that is an addiction. It says they were addicted to the service of God's people. Can you imagine that? It was an addiction to them is what what this tells us. You deacons, God's not called you to be a part of a a, a ruling board. Uh, That's not what our deacons are here. That's not what a biblical deacon is. God's called you to be a servant. Now, you should have been a servant before you, you took this role, and you all were. He's calling you to a higher level of service. In other words, he's kind of saying you're a servant, and now I'm putting a title on that. And every person here, God is saying, listen, if you love me and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one way you measure your maturity is how are you serving Jesus Christ How are you serving in the church? How are you serving people? I love something I read this week. It said there's one qualification really to being a servant, and that's having a relationship with Jesus. It's being saved. And once you're saved, you're qualified to be a servant. Isn't that neat? See, if you decided you wanted to be a preacher, uh, it would probably be more involved. If you decide you want to be a song leader, it would be more involved. If you decide you want to be a counselor, it's going to be a lot more involved. But if you decide tonight, I want to be a servant and serve in the church and serve other people and serve people in the community, uh, one, thing, one thing the qualification is is that you know Jesus as your Savior and then we can turn you loose. Isn't that great? What God says to you four men and what he says to all of us here tonight, remember what Jesus said, the greatest among you is the one who serves. 
Be a servant. Be a servant. Here's the sixth thing he says tonight. He says, be submissive. You're going to love this one, aren't you? Now, women, don't panic. This isn't talking to you. This is talking to all of us. My wife says, I love passages about submissiveness too much. But this is for everybody, not just the women. Verse 16, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors in it. See, here's, here's what God was telling these Christians and certainly the deacons and the leaders in this church. You guard, stay on guard for the tax of Satan. Stand strong in your faith. Be courageous. Be loving. Be a servant. And then he says, by the way, I want you to be submissive to the people God has put over you in your life. Here he's talking about in the church. The word submit means, means order. It means to place oneself. It's normally a voluntarily placing oneself uh, in the proper order in relationships to. It's, it's putting yourself in a proper order under a superior, someone who is over you. Here was a huge problem. Corinth was a mean church. <laughs> we, we spent all year. It was a mean church. It was a difficult church. And it was not accidental that God, as he spoke these words... In the 16th chapter, this last chapter, several times, he addresses their orneriness, and he gives them a last charge. Listen, you follow the people that God has put for you to follow in your life. I told you guys this a few weeks ago. As a deacon, you are a servant. By, by virtue, though, of who you are, you're also a leader. But if you're going to be who God wants you to be, you also have to be a follower. You need to be a great follower. I love a story of a little girl who, well, a little girl, she was 17. She applied for a college, and on the application, they asked, are you a leader? And she was very sad. She checked, no, I'm not. A few weeks later, she got back a personal handwritten letter from a uh, dean of admissions, and she just knew it was going to be a rejection letter, but it said, hey, we've decided to accept you. Here's why. We had 1,450 applicants, and 1,449 are leaders. You are the only one who checked your follower. And we felt like if we got 1,449 leaders, we needed at least one follower. You know, it is great to be a leader. But it's a bigger sign of your relationship with Christ, the kind of follower you are. Someone said, and this is so true, no one is fit to lead who cannot follow. Did you get that? If you can't follow other people, you are not fit to lead. In every area of our lives, or in, many, in some area of your life, let me rephrase that, you are a leader and others you're a follower. You know what? You get pulled over today going 80 on South Trenton, you're going to be a follower, aren't you? You better follow, you better smile, and you better agree, and you better admit you're wrong. Doesn't matter if you got eight PhDs and you're worth a billion dollars. Well, if you're worth that much, you can probably get out of it. But God says, will you follow your government leaders? He says, in the household, there's order. The, the kids are supposed to follow the parents. The husband is to be the leader of the wife. You go to work, you have a boss. You, you follow your, your leadership at work. And, and in church, there's order. There's order. I didn't create it. I, I didn't make up the rules. It doesn't mean one Christian is better than the other. It just means we play different roles. Guys, you cannot be who God wants you to be if you're not going to be a good follower. Can't be. Be the leader God's called you to be, but be the follower. Everybody here 
it, pride and ego are the only reasons we don't follow as we should. Be submissive. A.T. Robertson, Dr. A.T. Robertson was possibly one of the greatest Greek scholars, New Testament was written in Greek, that the Southern Baptists have ever had. He was a professor at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky for many, many years. Here's what Dr. Robertson said as an older man. He said, every problem in the church would be solved if our leaders would be good leaders and everyone else would be good followers. If our leaders would truly be good leaders and everyone else would be good followers, every problem in the church would be solved. Isn't that interesting? Be a, be a good follower. And he gives one other thing here, too. He says, be a refresher. Uh, a refresher. I just like that word. That's a, that's a great word. Verse 17 and 18. I was glad when these men, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus came and arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. These men came to Paul. They probably gave him news what was going on in Corinth. And it says they refreshed them. I want to challenge you men tonight to be a refresher. Everyone else here this evening, do you drain the world around you or do you lift it up? Do people see you coming and go, oh, no. Let me find a door to duck into. Paul said, these guys came and they brought a smile to my face. They lifted my spirit. They lifted my joy. I want to challenge you tonight. Be a refresher. Guys, make your church a, a happier place. Make your world a happier place. And then God throws this last wonderful thing in here for all of us. You will be rewarded when you're this kind of person. You'll be rewarded. Verse 18, he closes out, as we close out our study in this book, for they refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. When he said recognition, he, he literally was meaning they deserve to be known, they deserve to be patted on the back, and they deserve to be honored. I want to tell you this evening, all of us, I think, want to be honored. All of us want to be patted on the back and, and, and recognize, here's how you do it. You be the right kind of person. See, most of us want to bypass a lot of that, don't we? We want the attaboys and a great job, and we want to be honored and lifted up without paying the price. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. But here's what God says, and he says to you four men tonight, you serve me well, you be who I've called you to be, and this church will recognize that and they will honor you. But far more importantly than that, someday when you stand before God, God is going to honor you for being the person that God's called you to be. Isn't that what we all want? I'm going to go back to these guys in a second, but I want to throw some challenges out to all of you first. You're here tonight. Are you being who God's called you to be? Maybe the problem is, is you don't have a relationship with Christ. You know, even tonight, you could come and give your life to Christ. Do that tonight if you never have. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to do that. You can come and do that in a moment. Christian, you're here. Are you being who God's called you to be? Are you about what God's called you to be about? Repent and get on the right course. 
Do that at the altar where you're standing in a moment. And you guys here, I want to challenge you to make a commitment tonight to be what God's called you to be. Please don't look at tonight as, hey, I'm being chosen to be a deacon, and for three years I'm going to swing the bat hard, and four or five years from now we don't even know where you are. Look at this as God's lifetime call on you. God's calling you out to be different and to be something special. I want to challenge you to be that person. Let's stand. And as Wayne leads us in a, a song, if God's impressed on your heart to respond, you respond to him this evening.